Welcome to another episode of Empire State of Cannabis. We have an excellent guest today. It's uh, State Senator Diane Savino. Uh, she's a senator of the 23rd District that covers parts of Staten Island in Brooklyn, chair of the Internet and Technology Committee. Senator, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So obviously, you're very well known around Albany for uh, a bunch of different reasons, but in the cannabis industry, um, you know, you were a prime sponsor and, and introduced and really pushed forward the medical cannabis bill um, back in uh, back in 2014. So mm -hmm. at the time when it was signed, you know, the governor, he said this is going to be, you know, the most strict medical program in the country. Mm -hmm. And it pretty much has been I mean, there's 115,000 patients, there's no flower, you know, decently high prices, getting more competitive, uh, and limited amount of dispensary. So was that the intent of the program? No, it wasn't. So, you know, I, I, I always look to use the expression that was then and this is now. So back in uh, 2013, when I introduced the bill, uh, it was a much more expansive piece of legislation uh, that didn't really cap the number of licenses or dispensaries or conditions or any of the you know restrictions that wound up in the final version of the bill. Uh, and I actually spent some time studying the issue, looking at what happened in other states, trying to avoid the mistakes that they made. And uh, we crafted a really, uh, what I thought was a very thoughtful uh, piece of legislation to address how to create a comprehensive medical cannabis bill that would work for the patients in New York State. Hmm. Uh, and then I ran into the brick wall, otherwise known as Andrew Cuomo, yeah. who really didn't believe in marijuana. He had very serious concerns about, you know, what would happen if we had legal marijuana of any kind in New York State? That it would, you know, lead into, you know, the black market. That there would be all sorts of, uh, you know, people sneaking it out the back door of the dispensaries. And so, in the final days, once once he realized that we had the votes to pass it, he insisted on negotiating the bill down to a much more narrow bill mm -hmm. with no more than originally five license holders four dispensaries each, which led to no more than 20 dispensaries in the state of 19 and a half million people, uh, restricting it to 20 conditions, whole host of other things. And most importantly, a five-year sunset. That mm -hmm. bill expires this year, yeah. which people seem to have forgotten. Um, and so over the next five years, he, um, we, we, you know, we've expanded the bill, we've added conditions, uh, you know, and he's evolved in his approach toward marijuana. You know, he loves marijuana. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah he wants to. He has his own bill. He has his own proposal. He wants to expand medical. He wants to legalize adult use. He wants to heavily invest in hemp and see he sees the potential for the hemp industry. And so that's a good thing. But at the same time, we've not been able to kind of cross that Rubicon here in New York. And you know, like like other states haven't been able to do it yeah. to finally develop an adult use program. But the medical program sunsets this year. Yeah. Yeah. And so going back and I want to, I want to get back to that, but going back, what made you, so how did this issue kind of come to your attention and was it, you know, is cannabis always been something you've been passionate about or did it come to you through, you know, constituents or, you know, how did that, that process start to work? Well, I wouldn't say I was passionate about it. I'm more of a common sense type of elected official. So there was a few things that, that, that kind of shaped the way I look at things. One, so it's always your own personal experience. So if you've ever watched anybody in your own personal life deal with chronic pain or or um, even addiction, you realize that you know drugs can be used for good or bad things. And as a society, we also look at um, we look at drugs in a very bizarre way. You know, 
Um, if you're a, I always say that if you're lucky, if you're an, if you're a lucky addict, you're addicted to something that's legal, you know, and then we save a 12 step, a chair for you in a 12 step program. Mm -hmm. If you're an unlucky addict, we save a jail cell for you. But addiction at the end of the day is a biopsychosocial disease. It affects everybody. Um, but, you know, if you've seen someone that you know, that you know, and you love who suffers from chronic and severe pain, they're limited in what they're able to have access to. So I've, we found ourselves in, you know, in this state dealing with a, a rising opioid abuse crisis. And that crisis was founded in people who had become reliant on painkillers. Why do they, why were they reluctant, reliant on painkillers? Because they were suffering. They had lifelong debilitating illnesses or the, the uh, reaction to maybe a crippling accident or a workplace injury. And all too often, they had become dependent on things like opioids, Vicodin, or OxyContin to deal with it, when there was a better alternative, but that alternative was illegal. And so it just made sense. Like, well, why, why is it illegal? Well, just because the federal government says it is, yeah. you know, and that it just didn't make any sense. And so uh, I, I took the bill from a member of the Senate, Senator Tom Duane, who was leaving. And he asked me if I wanted to carry the bill. And I did. And then I looked at the bill. And the, the, the version of the bill at the time had originally been written more than 20 years ago. Yeah. And it didn't really reflect what had happened in that 20-year period of time. That by then, you had 22 other states that had adopted medical cannabis programs. Some good, some bad, some ugly. <laughs> and yeah. so I decided to set about you know, rewriting the bill and bringing along the assembly sponsor of the bill with me in that rewriting process. And that's where we wound up. Yeah. I, and so did you find a decent amount of support amongst your colleagues, you know, as you started to explain the, the bill and the issue to them? In the beginning, you know, there were a lot of people who were just like, yeah, sure, why not? We should do it. Uh, but they hadn't really given it much thought. Hmm. And they didn't really think of it also as not just medicine or as an industry. And that was part of the 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 education process, not just for myself, but also for members, you know, many members of the Senate. Some of them looked at it purely as a criminal justice reform issue. They looked at it as, as common sense. Some of it looked at it as, as medicine. Um, and I, you know, I always take my votes wherever I can get them. So for yeah. those who are willing to support it for any one of the three reasons, I, you know, I'm happy to have them. Um, and then for others, you know, some people were, just, they were reluctant, but we got them there. And the thing that moved a lot of members who were sitting on the fence were patient advocates. They were the most persuasive, and especially um, young people who were suffering from the crippling epilepsy, the Dravet syndrome, the chronic refractory epilepsy, where you, they, some of them would come here and they would, you know, their parents would bring them, and you could see these young people suffering from seizure after seizure after seizure. And I had a couple of colleagues who said, I don't know if this will work. I'm not sure I believe it. But if it's going to help this kid, I'll vote for it. And yeah. so we built support, you know, one member at a time, one issue at a time. Uh, well, and there's no doubt that the medical program has helped and is helping people. I think that gets kind of lost in the context of, well, it's, you know, mm -hmm. slow to establish or it's not a great industry. I don't have access. Well, but for a lot of people, for, you know, 100,000 some patients, I mean, there is serious, you know, help that, that, that they're receiving from mm -hmm. medical cannabis. Now, so you so you talk about the sunsetting, but you've also introduced some bills that would, you know, kind of help the medical program, right? And so 
for you, what is it? I mean, you know, obviously we're talking about adult use cannabis, but how important is it that the medical program continues and what do you think is necessary to improve on the program and keep it going regardless of adult use? Well, I'm, I'm very frustrated that the, the, the improvement and the expansion of medical has been held hostage to the failure to move on adult use. And a lot of people who support the medical program and have helped get the medical program to where it is are also heavily invested in the creation of an adult use program. And they see that if medical continues to improve and expand, that that will take the wind out of the sails of an adult use program. And look, I get it. I understand politics. You know, and I also understand members of the legislature sometimes can't walk and chew gum at the same time. What do I mean by that? That if they have to vote on a a marijuana bill and this is it, they're not going to vote on anything else. I'm not I'm I'm not immune to that criticism. I understand that, but at the same time, this is this is important because patients are waiting too long, they're traveling too far to get access to medication that they need, and they're paying way too much. So, but I also think we're in in a unique place in history right now. We no longer have. a Republican administration in Washington. Yep. We also now have 38 states that have. So when I when I passed when we passed the um, Compassionate Care Act in 2014, we were the 23rd state. Five years later, there are 38 states that have medical cannabis programs. 14, I think, that are on on, on the yep. edge of. I think we're um, about adult adult 14 adult use. Yep. 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 Right. The 38 time. states. Mm-hmm. Now, can the Congress? find its way to legalize adult use marijuana? I don't think so. Um, They may tinker around the edges on something, but minimally, the Biden administration can legalize medical cannabis. It's absurd that they continue to hold on to the idea that, you know, cannabis is a schedule one substance. So if you don't want to do anything, legalize medical cannabis, you know, and let's figure out ways to make it easier for doctors and patients across the country. And when you think about it, it's kind of ridiculous. If I'm a patient in New York and I want to go visit my, my family member in Florida, I can't bring my medication with me yeah. or I have to go through a whole new set of regulatory you know, requirements to be able to be treated in Florida. You don't do that if you want to take your, you know, your blood pressure medication with yeah. you, you fill it in CVS in Florida. It's just so crazy. Yep. So we, should be, we should be focusing our efforts on that as well. Um, but do you think there's on that though? Do you think that there is room for, you know, cannabinoids? And this is you know beyond THC, but as a as a supplement and also a prescribed drug, right? Because I think that's a lot of the debate going on in Congress right now. You know, we saw with a new reintroduction, mm-hmm. um, you know, on in terms of getting rid of this medical exclusionary rule. You talk, you talk about Dravet syndrome and the fact that mm-hmm. you know GW is already in with a, a CBD drug at least. But but mm-hmm. do you think there? that's going to be important that there's the prescribed side and also the, the supplement side? I think that's absolutely crucial because there's a lot of, you know, I hate to use the term black market, but there's a lot of black market stuff out there and people don't know what they're ingesting, but there's no reason why we cannot do this. The FDA should be, you know, regulating the, the, some of these CBD products that are out there so that people know what they're taking. Other than that, it could be snake oil. You know, it's like the old snake oil salesman. You don't know what you're taking, but, we're, we should do this. 38 states have medical programs. We can legalize medical and, and you know, create a more even uniform standard across the country so that patients, again, have access. We should be talking about insurance coverage for medical cannabis. Yeah. 
Absolutely. You know, we should be doing everything possible to make banking easier for medical cannabis companies and for patients. We should everything possible to make it easier while the bigger, broader issue of adult use continues. Uh, and, and these things are not mutually exclusive of one another. So does the MRTA address most of those concerns, you think, as it is uh, right now? You know, the MRTA has, and, and this, what is it, the CRTA, yeah. but they, they mirror each other in many ways, and then they're kind of, they're far apart in other ways. Absolutely. They're either going to get worked out or they're not. Um, and I'm not really sure. But I, I'm very concerned that, again, the medical program will be held hostage to the two. But this year it can't. Mm. It sunsets in July. It cannot allow. It cannot be allowed to expire. So what happens in July then? Do the stores if, have to close? If, yes. If the program expires, it expires. And so it can only be ex extended through, through statute. Well, it would have to be. We'd have, yeah. to, we'd have to do an extender of it. But it can't. Ex it cannot be extended the way it is, and I think that's the other piece that has to be um, emphasized. It is a is a very narrow, restricted program, which does not serve patients the way it was the, the way it should be serving patients. It is cumbersome. It's difficult, and it's expensive. And the other thing that it is, you know, because it's a vertically integrated program, um, it restricts access to people. Um, and, and there's, you know, there's been a, one of the big criticisms of the program is that it, you know, it is, it's been very difficult for, you know, smaller entrepreneurs to get into it. That is, you know, it's, it's too male, it's too white, you know, all of the, the same arguments that they have against, you know, some of the states where you don't see the diversity in the industry. And yeah. well, that, that will continue if we, if we continue under this model of vertical integration that currently exists in the medical program. Um, so, one of the bills, one of the one of the amendments to the Compassionate Care Act that I carry would crack the vertical integration requirement and also allow um, dispensary-only licenses and other types of licenses to allow people to enter this market at various entry points that yeah. are less expensive. You you cover this industry. You know how expensive it is. Absolutely. Because of all the regulatory hurdles and the fact that the federal government continues to maintain that a Schedule One substance, you know, is illegal. Oh, the, so the, the barriers are are insane. Barriers are, you know, incredible. If we want to diversify the industry, we have to make it easier for people to get in, and you know, so we have to create more entry points. Yep. And the way to do that is to crack vertical integration. Absolutely, yeah, and 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 also, you know, legitimize the industry while also, you know, making it more accessible. I mean, uh, to note, snake oil uh, started in Binghamton with Dr. Kilmer, actually. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a uniquely interesting uh, New York. Um, you know, beginning. So then because adult use cannabis ends up, I mean, you know, we, we, there is a line that is, you know, they try to neatly draw between right medical and adult use. But the reality is, is many people using cannabis for adult use are, are medicating, right. And mm -hmm. in many States. And then also, I mean, maybe they're medicating sometimes and then other times they're using, I mean, well, however they're using it for though, I think the, the, the premise of adult use. So what does a medical, marketplace or industry do you think looks like say if the mrta crta get worked out or pass on, on their own but what, what what do you see it as as being in in this whole context of if you're over 21 you can buy cannabis but what does medical still look like but but well i think that's a very excellent question because i think that a lot of people don't understand that when we say that people self-medicate with marijuana it's no different than some people self-medicating with a bottle of scotch yeah. that doesn't make it medicine yeah. Right. Medical grade marijuana is not the same as rolling a joint and smoking it. 
It may make you feel better the same way drinking a fifth of scotch might make you feel better, but it's not medication. Medical grade marijuana is different. There's a whole science that's behind it. I spent a lot of time, you know, trying to educate people that it's not about getting high. It's about specific strains that have been developed to help you deal with specific conditions. So it's not the same for everybody. And so that, that market has to be allowed to develop and, you know, and, and, and find, you know, and, and, and so that patients are able to find the relief that they really need, as opposed to the, you know, the adult use, which is really about recre. I hate to use the term recreational, but sure. you know, yeah. for 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 recreational purposes, medicine is medicine. Yeah. Marijuana for recreational purposes is not necessarily medicine. It might make you feel better, but it's not going to help your underlying condition. If you are someone who suffers from anxiety disorder, you may find relief. From the from the recreational use of marijuana, but that's not going to help your underlying anxiety disorder. Mm. You know, you need actual help with your anxiety disorder as well. Any in in many ways, um, you may find relief from other drugs that are not necessarily prescribed for that purpose, but it makes you feel better. Yeah, that's not what, that's not what medical cannabis is about. It's about you know determining what your medical condition is and the appropriate type of strain that will help you with that condition and there's a lot you know there's a lot of exciting science and research that's happening around that right now yeah absolutely. there is around other pharmaceuticals so and i think it's important that people realize that and i don't really think that a lot of people get that right now well the, the other thing about being in in a medical program and being you know with oversight of a physician is that they now know what you're taking you mm -hmm. know etc and and develop it around a whole plan in terms of your wellness whether it's other drugs or mm -hmm. whatever it is physical therapy etc right so i think that that's positive now when you talk about genetics interesting thing that is raised um about you know specific genetics working for different people is home grow right because this idea that if you can grow it yourself then if you find that cultivar you don't have to worry about the dispensary running out of it or not not having any more, you know, it, this is a problem in all states. So, what would you what would you say to that? I've never been a big fan of the idea of home grow. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I, it's I know somewhat controversial um, because again, we don't allow people to make their own, you know, insulin, their own penicillin, or their own oxycodone, right? <laughs> I just sure. don't. Um, and because marijuana continues to be illegal on the federal government's level, um, I'm somewhat skeptical of the concept of home growing. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure we could be able to regulate it or uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm on the fence there. I really don't think it's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so what we need to do yeah. is make sure that we have enough supply, that we have it available, that it is covered by insurance, uh, or that it is as low cost as possible for patients. That's yeah. the, the way to go about it. And it's absolutely. safe and it's accessible. Absolutely. And so another somewhat controversial, you wouldn't think it was controversial, but decently controversial is flour, right? So flour is not in the medical program. It's now not in the hemp program. And so what, what do you think about that? Because the thing with flour, which is interesting is because not only is it, you know, what people are comfortable with in cannabis and habitual, et cetera, but it also, your lungs have the lowest blood barrier, right? So your lungs are very mm -hmm. effective of getting, you know, things into your blood system, oxygen mm -hmm. specifically, right? But with cannabis, it, it provides the most acute way uh, for, 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 for pain relief or, or for mm -hmm. any sorts of relief. So what are your thoughts on flour? Do you think it's a mistake that Department of Health doesn't offer flour in medical? I think, so again, this was one of those issues that was a line in the sand for the governor in 2014. He was adamant he would not sign the bill if we did not um, eliminate smoking as a, as a condition of the, of the bill. 
So, you know, we gave in because it was either that or you got nothing. Uh, so the so the expansion bills that we carry eliminate um, smoking, the ban on smoking. Uh, and for, for the reasons that you cited, uh, most patients have said that it's one of the fastest ways to get it into your bloodstream and it's the fastest way to get the relief that you need. And quite honestly, it's one of the things that drives up the cost, yeah. the, you know, the, the fact that you can't sell the flower product. So at the same time, the Department of Health, they don't like the idea. They've expressed to me that they're opposed to the concept, but I told them that they lost the war on this one because the governor in his bill, the CRTA, he allows for the smoking, of, yeah. <laughs> the sale of flower product for the adult use program. I said, you can't have it both ways. You no. can't say that you can sell it here um, flower product and, and smoke it, but you can't sell it here. I said, you just lost this war. So just yeah. forget it. You know, and by the way, most patients, they may buy the flower product. Doesn't necessarily mean they're going to smoke it. They might vape it. They may use it for other purposes. They might steep it. You can't tell them that they can't buy it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, gonna, it's an access right. issue. As you said, it's, you know, it's, right. it's a patient rights issue at the end of the right. day. And, and it's also an affordability issue. I mean, same thing with non-psychoactive hemp flower, which is now not allowed mm -hmm. to. So it kind of just shows more of the, you know, the thinking from the administration on, on smoking and kind of looking at it from a wholesale perspective instead of a harm reduction right. perspective, you know, they're going to get their flower somewhere at the end of the day, right. might as well have it tested and, and regulated, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, moving towards kind of w what's going to happen this session, I mean, obviously you don't have a crystal ball, but, you know, do you think the MRTA has the votes to pass without the governor's support? I, I honestly don't know. I mean, it's not my bill, right? Yeah. So, you know, last Last year, wasn't last year, because we, we got interrupted last year. So it was 2019, yeah. we thought we had the votes um, and we were assuming we had the votes. And then I started counting heads and I realized that we were way short. Um, I, do, I, I do vote counting a little different than you know, some of my colleagues. I actually go member to member, are you yes, yes or no? Tell me why, what can we do, how can I, you know, what do you want to see in the bill? I mean, I log roll a little bit differently. Some other members, you know, assume they put a bill out and everyone's going to vote for it and the leader will collect the votes for them. I don't do it that way. If I want your vote, I ask you for it. Yeah. You know, tell me, you know, you're either going to tell me yes or no. Or So we were apparently the, the sponsors were counting votes that weren't there. And we were quite shocked at the last minute to find out that two or three of them were no votes. Yeah. And I won't, I won't mention their names, but one of them actually campaigned on the issue. So we were quite shocked when he, when he turned around and said, I can't vote for that. <laughs> I was like, what? Well, I mean, it was, a, it was a new majority, right? So, I mean, it's tough. You, you want to keep your majority. You see a lot of money coming up against you in the next year. I mean, but I think what happened in Jersey, I think, you know, kind of shows, and now we have 66%, you know, we have upstate and there's a lot of upstate Democrats, you know, so, so we'll see about the votes. But I mean, like you said, it's not your bill. I guess we'll have to see what happens. So, I, I do have a lot. I'll tell you, my concern is the same arguments that were being made um, the last time about the, the inconsistencies between the two bills, between the governor's proposal and the legislature are still there. Oh. And the same arguments that, by the way, which is what, in my opinion, New Jersey's bill is not much better than what could have been passed before they did the referendum. Yep. They got a flawed program bill there. I'm not sure they're going to have a, a viable program. And if if we go down the road in New York of counting money that doesn't exist and demanding things that may never come to pass and putting restrictions on where we can allow the sale of marijuana 
and counties opting in or opting out, we're going to have a fatally flawed program here as well. Absolutely. And the only thing we're going to have is what we're going to we'll we'll do is send a signal to the illegal marketplace that you are here, you're welcome, continue to do what you do, and that's not going to help anybody. If you're going to have a legal regulated market, you have to remove as many hurdles as possible. Yep. Try not to tax it to the point where, you know, makes it easier to just continue to participate in the illegal market. You know, I've tried to explain to most of my colleagues who, by the way, I don't smoke pot. I don't like pot. It's not my head. Yeah. Give me a nice bottle of Cabernet any day, an occasional bourbon. I'm happy. But if you want to smoke, it's not hard to get. Yeah. It's home, go to weed maps, wherever. Someone brings it to your house. You want edibles. You want you, anything you want. It's a very sophisticated illegal marketplace. Yeah. And I don't have to share my to data Jersey. with you. Right. I don't have to share my data. I don't have to tell anybody who I am. Mm -hmm. I don't have to pay taxes on it. I'm very comfortable with this. That's what we're up against yep. as a state. And so if I'm a consumer, why do I want to go into the legal market with all the inherent risks associated with that? and pay a premium for it. If yeah. you're gonna tax it so high because we have to now satisfy, you know, every social justice under the sun. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that, you know, a lot of the arguments around, you know, we talk about equity and we talk about social justice is, well, give them opportunities to own a business and to, and to, to really develop generational wealth, right? You know, there's a lot of tax revenue already spent in a lot of communities. And, you know, I think that what we're hearing is, allow us to open our own business, you know, open it up, you know, liquor stores. Yeah. I, I was in the, the wine industry for a while. We, we had our hemp infused wine. Uh, we had an excellent cab, by the way, we had a good cab franc too, <laughs> um, which is a, a New York, a nice New York. Uh, great. But um, you know, most liquor stores, actually almost all liquor stores are owned by family, family businesses. Right. Almost all wine. So store on main street. Yeah. That's you know. the model. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So, you know, I, I think we can do the same thing here. So, um, Last question here for you, um, and this might be a tricky one, but um, you know, so THC, as we know, is an appetite stimulant. It's very good for a, a lot of patients, um, mm -hmm. especially when they're undergoing, you know, chemotherapy, et cetera. But, you know, if we have adult use legalization, then, you know, THC becomes an appetite stimulant for those just consuming for recreational purposes. So let's say they find themselves in your district. What are the places that you would recommend them go eat? <laughs> oh, there's so many. Well, give me so a top five. So Staten Island has some of the best pizza in New York City. Um, and then there's a fight over where you go first. Danino's, there's Lee's Tavern, there's a new place called Sepe, there's you know, Pizzeria Giove, so there's pizza everywhere. Then there's great restaurants, one of my favorite around the corner from my house, Danoy, Bachi, um, you know, Max's Esca. I mean, there's, there's Basilio's Inn, which is one of the oldest restaurants in New York City. There's so many great restaurants on Staten Island, I, you know, I, I can't pick just one. Okay. Okay. No, that that's fair. So you'll never starve to death. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. So you know, when when we do have adult use cannabis, it is a matter of of uh, when, not if, right? And so when we have it, you're saying that you know, if you're going to take the train and you're you're hungry, you know, come over to Staten Island, or at least oh, no, you got to take the ferry to get to Staten Island. If you're going to take the train, then you go to Coney Island. That's oh, the no. other side of my district. Okay. And get the you, then you go to Nathan's. So if you're going to have the munchies. You know, you, you want to go to Nathan's, you want to have a hot dog <laughs> and you want to ride the cycle. 
<laughs> All right. Well, well, that sounds great. Uh, thank you, Senator, uh, for joining. And, you know, everyone watching, you know, like, subscribe. We have some excellent guests coming up. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see what, what happens here this legislative session. All right. Good to see you.